Kyle, worship team. And uh, if you walked in in the last few minutes and didn't catch our welcome, welcome to Grace Life. My name is Tommy Clayton. I am the lead pastor here. Um, somebody should probably get that, that kid over there. That's my son. <laughs> welcome to Fifth Sunday at Grace Life. We, we have Fifth Sundays um, on the fifth, obviously the fifth Sunday of every month, there's a few in every year, and we take that as a, a time to have a family-style service. Uh, we're having it inside today because there was some inclement weather that had lightning, and also because it can get pretty humid during these months. So, so um, we also celebrate new life with baptisms. We have a big potluck-style feast afterwards, and we welcome new members on fifth Sunday. So uh, I'm so thankful that you're here today. And listen, we've got a lot of kids. There's a lot of busyness and noise. And I want you to know that's okay. The last thing we want is for parents to be uh, just on edge and full of angst. Uh, the, the message is going to be a little bit shorter. And I'm going to try to put it on the bottom shelf so that everyone can, can feel engaged. I've chosen a really familiar passage and story and parable that I think is going to resonate today. I pray that it does. And we also have, if you need to use the restroom, we don't have restrooms in here. You can walk outside these doors, take a right, and you can go to the breezeway that way or this way, and you can find some open restrooms. Uh, take your kids or yourself to the, to the potty out there. So uh, I'm going to pause and pray, and then we're going to turn to Luke chapter 15 and, and, and spend a few minutes in God's Word. We've got a lot of things to pray for this week, don't we? A lot of heavy hearts, um, and it's Memorial Day weekend, so we remember those fallen soldiers who gave themselves an act of duty for our country. So pause and, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the God who sits above all things in perfect peace and serenity and tranquility. You are seated on your throne in majesty with sovereignty and power. And we know you possess knowledge of everything that happens. You see everything. You feel everything, God. And you have unlimited power at your fingertips. And it's hard for us as, as fallen human beings, uh, limited in our understanding of the world and of you. We see things happen, tragedies that befall us, Lord, and it hurts. We, we want to fix it. We wonder sometimes why things happen. If, if you possess the power to stop them and yet they happen, we, we, we question our hearts. But, Lord, we surrender and we bow to your wisdom. We know that everything happens for a reason and that uh, we pray that your church would, would stand and be the pillar and the buttress of truth in these dark times, Lord. Help us to be a witness for you. Help us to be your hands and your feet to those that are hurting and are distant and bear witness to the truth of the good news of the gospel. We pray that you would uh, surround those, those families, Lord, who didn't even get a chance really to say goodbye to those children or say goodbye to, to the teachers that were there. Pray that you would comfort them, Lord, and, and pray for your people to surround them in that community and be there. And we thank you for, for what we're celebrating today, Lord, new life with these baptisms and welcoming new members to Grace Life. We thank you for your providence and your sovereignty and your wisdom that brought them here. Make us a stronger church because of them. And when people come here and, and, and leave, Lord, and they move, I pray they would leave stronger Christians than when they came. That's, that's the value of the body of Christ. Be with us now as we turn our attention to your word. Help us to see things that are there that you intend for us to be challenged with and encouraged with, that we wouldn't see it just a surface glance. May your spirit come, Lord, and, and empower us and illuminate our minds and hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll turn to Luke chapter 15. This is a really powerful chapter in God's word. 
And it's filled with parables. It's filled with stories that Jesus told, actually three stories. Now, we love stories, don't we? Kids, do you love stories? My kids love stories. And sometimes they love the same story. They want us to tell the same story over and over and over again or read the same book over and over again, the same frog and toad story over and over again. And, and uh, if you love stories, you love to tell them and you love to hear them, you're in good company because Jesus loves stories. He loves stories. Uh, the stories that Jesus told are called parables. Anybody know how many stories are recorded in the four Gospels? Anybody want to render a guess? How many? Three, four, five? Forty. Forty stories. You know, some people have a problem when preachers are teaching the Word of God and they use stories to help illustrate the truth. They say, you shouldn't tell stories, you should just preach. But Jesus was the master preacher and he was also a master storyteller. So I like to tell stories naturally, but I feel like I'm in good company with Jesus. I'm not saying that I'm like Jesus in that way. I'm just saying uh, that's part of being a, an image-bearing creature. We're made in his image. And God gave us stories. He gave us the grand story of how he came to rescue his broken, fallen, rebellious, sinful creation. Amen? So Jesus told stories. He told lots of them. Forty of them filled the pages of, of the New Testament. Some of them he told over and over, and this story in particular has resonated and stood out to people throughout the centuries. Charles Dickens is a familiar name to you. He wrote A Christmas Carol, Great Expectations, A Tale of Two Cities, Oliver Twist, all kinds of stories. And he said that this short story is the greatest story ever told. That's quite a compliment coming from a storyteller like him. I think I agree with him. Um, why, why are stories so helpful? Well, a few reasons. First of all, they're powerful tools for teaching. Stories are powerful tools for teaching, and here's why. Because stories show us what instruction tells us. You know, I can, I can tell you things about the world, and maybe you'll get them, maybe you won't, but we're all visual learners to one degree or another, and stories show us. They demonstrate truths. Here's my point. Jesus could tell us that God receives sinners, and he does tell us that in multiple places. But this story shows that to us in, in a dramatic form. Jesus could tell us that running away from God will only live, leave you empty, guilty, disillusioned, disappointed. He could tell you that the way of the sinner is hard and that there's pleasure in sin, but only for a little while and it comes back to bite you. You can sow uh, the wind, but you reap the whirlwind. He could tell us those things, and the, and the Bible does. But this story shows us those things. That's why it's so memorable. Stories are like Velcro. The truth sticks, and you have to work really hard to get it out of your head, right? Jesus could tell us that he heaven celebrates when a sinner repents and comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But this story shows us what that celebration looks like. And he could also tell us that sometimes the hardest people in the world to reach with the most calloused hearts are the people that think they're the moral insiders. They're the, maybe the religious people or the clean kids or the clean adults that keep the rules, that are respectable, that work hard and have done the right things. Jesus shows us in this story sometimes those are the most proud, distant, angry, hateful, hardest people in the world to reach. I think we know that, and we're told that in the Bible, but the story shows us that, and it's powerful. It's powerful. So uh, some stories Jesus had to interpret. Some parables that he tells, he, he has to circle back around and say, this means this, that means that, but not this story. This story, we don't really need anybody to explain it to us. It's so heartwarming 
And it's also so shocking and surprising. It challenges the categories we have for understanding the world, understanding ourselves, and understanding God. The only thing we might ask for in this story is a little bit of clarity on the ending. It's got a a kind of an open-ended ending. You want to know what happened. But there's a reason for that, too, that I'm going to talk about. So let's read this story together, and then I'm going to point out a few things. It starts in verse 11. It's, the, it's called the parable of the prodigal son, but as you're going to see, that's not even really the main point of this story. But let's read it together in verse 11. And he, that is Jesus, said, there was a man. Now, kids, I want you especially to listen. You guys are being so good. Pay attention for just a few minutes. If nothing else, I want you to hear the story that Jesus told, okay? Here we go. This is Jesus' story. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him. And he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat 
that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The end. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm going to give a hand to the Lord for that story. Doesn't that story resonate with you? Don't you want to know what happened? You know how you find out what happened? You read the rest of the gospel and you find out who the elder brother was and did he ever come in to the father and celebrate? But let me point out a few things here, okay? First of all, I want to ask you children. I want to back up a little bit and read the very first few verses in the beginning of this chapter that launched Jesus into storytelling. And then I want to ask the kids a question. Here's the first few verses of this chapter. Jesus always tells stories to a certain audience and turns it into a classroom. So let's find out what the classroom was about. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. By the way, the put on my nerd hat for a minute, the Greek tense of that verb, it's continuous. The tax collectors, the sinners, the riffraff, if you want to call them that, the moral outcast, the dirty, the unclean, they were constantly, all the time, gathering, 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 drawing near Jesus, drawing up uh, close to him, accumulating to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable, and he launches, bam, 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 these three parables about somebody who lost something and then went and found it, and there was a huge party and celebration afterwards. So what do you think that this story is supposed to teach us about? Who's the audience? The Pharisees and the scribes were there. They were grumbling, and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the outcasts, they're there. You've got two groups of people that Jesus is telling this story to. The moral insiders and the moral outsiders. He's going to take both of them to school. Both of them to school. For, with a, a very important reason. Because what the, what the insiders were saying, they were grumbling. They were saying, this man receives sinners. Now, normally you would think, as a Christian, man, what a compliment. I mean, I got to tell you, I'm a church planner. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be as a, as a shepherd, an evangelist, right? If somebody said, man, Tommy, he receives sinners, I would, I would consider that a compliment. Like, praise God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, right? They didn't mean it as a compliment. They meant it as a complaint. They said it with resentment. They said it scoffing. They said it with a hard heart. They said it with anger and, and hostility. And so Jesus heard that. He knew their hearts, and he said, what an opportunity to, to teach these people. And so that's what this story is all about. And, and, and children, I'm going to read again the, just the first statement in this story. And you tell me what it's about. Are you ready? Kids, this is for you. All you kids, listen. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. What's this story about? <laughs> Not everybody at once now. There was a man who had two sons. Is the story about a prodigal son? 
No, it's about two sons. Two, listen to me now. This story is about two people. They're both distant from their father. They're both lost. They're both outside of their father's authority, but only one of them comes to realize that and is broken and humble and repentant and comes home. The other one's angry about it. So, since I read to you the two groups of people that were getting close to Jesus to hear him teach, and Jesus told a story about two sons, who do you think those two sons represent in this story? Those two groups of people, the moral insiders and the moral outsiders. And Jesus has been saying this over and over. He said, you know, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they enter the kingdom of heaven before you Pharisees and you scribes and you insiders do. Really interesting. So... This story is filled with, it's filled with shock, it's filled with surprise, um, and so I, I'm, I'm going to, very, very quick outline here, okay, I promise, this will be the shortest sermon that I've ever preached, you guys can hold me to it, all right? I know, I know, hold me to it, <laughs> get your watches out, four points, very quick points, four, four acts, this is a story, and if you're in theater, there's acts, acts one, act two, act three, and act four, so act one. Yeah, intermission. Yeah, I got you. I feel you, Sally. All right. So act one, there's a shocking request. This is a shocking request. The first son says to his father, hey, dad, I want all the inheritance that's coming to me. Now, back then in that culture, in that time, in the ancient near Middle East, you would get an inheritance if you were a son, okay? The oldest son would get the lion's share, and the, the younger sons would get some of the share, in this, condition, in this case, there were two sons, so the first son would get two-thirds. The younger son would get one-third. The father would, be, would have nothing. And normally that happened when the father what? Died. When the father died, you got the inheritance. So kids, what was this son saying to his dad, essentially? Hey, dad, I want my inheritance right now. What was he saying? I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I don't love you. I don't want to be in your, under your authority. I don't want to be around you. I want your stuff. I don't want you. I want your gifts. I don't want you. I only want what you can do for me. I don't care about you. I don't delight in you. I don't care about your love. I don't want it. I reject it. Just give me my stuff. And here's the, shock, the shocking request back then. Do you know what would have happened to a young man in that Jewish culture that, that requested that? It could be as extreme as he could lose his life. Or it, it could be just as sad and tragic as he would be kicked out of the family, kicked out of the com community on his own forever. He certainly would not have been given his inheritance. But this father does something shocking. And honestly, to the community, this would have been shameful. This father says, fine then, I'll give you what you ask. He gives, the, he gives his youngest son his, his share of the inheritance. And what does this son do? He, he cashes it all in because it was property back then. Property was everything. It was everything. This, this father basically divided himself, tore himself to pieces. He gave everything that, that would give him dignity and nobility and honor. As a father, he gave it away to his sons while he was still alive. And he left nothing for himself. His younger son cared nothing about the inheritance uh, other than just cashing it in. He cashed it in and it says he went into a far country. He wanted to be as far away from his father as he could possibly be. So that's, that's one, act one. That's a shocking request. It's a shocking request. And the shocking response, act two. See, I told you this was a quick outline. Shocking response. The father, with a heavy heart, grants 
son his wish, and he watches him probably with tears as this son goes far away. And the Bible says he squandered it on wasteful, reckless, riotous living. And this, uh, this phrase in the story, he went to a faraway country, that just is showing just distance from the father, alienation. In the story, he probably went to a Gentile country. We know that because whenever he ran out of money, what was the only trade there that he could join himself to? Pigs, swine. Do you know that a pig, just, this is for free, a pig was the most unclean animal to a Jew. It would have been an abomination. to t- And I know bacon, right? Who knew? It's, to eat pork, to touch a pig would have been outlandish to them. And yet this young man, how, how, how far to the bottom did he sink? I mean, part of what the story is showing us really is there, is there is pleasure in sin for just a season, but this young man, when he ran out of money, he ran out of what? He ran out of friends. He lost himself. He was at the very end. He was homeless. He had no friends. He had no money. He had no hope. And it says he hired himself out to, uh, can you imagine, can you picture this in your mind? This, this Gentile landowner that probably despised Jews, he said, oh, yeah, I got a nice Jewish lad here. I got just the thing for you. Come with me, my friend, and puts him in the pigsty and says, you can feed those pigs, and if we have any leftover, that's your lunch and your breakfast and your dinner. And so, man, this, this young man has come to the end of himself, and he begins to think again. I love in, in the phrase in Greek is he came to himself. I bet there's some people in here that you've come to yourself. You began to think again. There's always hope when a man or a woman begins to think again. And he did. And he thought, what in the world am I doing here? My father is wealthy. I had it made on that farm. What was I thinking? What did I do? And he begins to rehearse his I'm so sorry speech. You know, sin is a hard master. And the way of the sinner is hard. That's what this parable is teaching us, the first part of it. And the message of the Bible is that the human race, all of us, we're just a band of exiles trying to find our way home. And we're choosing bad paths to try and get there. This this parable really is about every one of us. So here's Act 3. Act 3, a shocking return. First there was the shocking request, then there was the shocking response. And now we've got a shocking return here. The young prodigal comes to himself. He's broken. He's at his wits end. He's been humbled. He sees things much differently now. He wants to go home. And it's interesting. He says, I know what I'll do. He comes up with a strategy. This is his plan. He says, I'll become one of my father's hired workers. You know, there's, there's kind of like a hierarchy. There's, there's the, uh, the sons, and then there's the servants who live on the property, and then there's the, hire, the hirelings. All they get is some wages, and they go live in a village or, you know, some, somewhere off the property. They're not even welcome there unless they're clocked in and working. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go hire myself out to my dad, and I'll start to make money back, and I'll pay off the debt. That's what he's thinking. He's thinking, I got this debt. I've disgraced my father. I've shamed his honor. I've shamed his name. I owe him a tremendous debt, and I'll figure out a way to pay it back. That's what the son starts to think. So he starts his journey home, and this is where it gets really interesting. And I just want to read this part. Very very moving, heartwarming. He says, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. 
I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And then there's the word, but. So he's got this plan, right? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does that tell you? If you're a long way off and somebody sees you, what are they doing? What have they been doing? Looking for you, waiting for you, praying for you, hoping for you, longing for you to return. Now remember, Jesus has got a classroom set up here and he's trying to tell people, this is what God the Father is like. Because these Pharisees were grumbling because tax collectors, harlots, outsiders were coming into the kingdom. They were coming to hear Jesus. And the moral insiders were grumbling and complaining. Jesus is like, you are so far from understanding the heart of God. When the prodigal was a long way off, the father saw him. Listen to this. He saw him and he felt compassion. He felt compassion for him. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Now check this out. Let me put my nerd hat on again because I like doing word studies. When it says he ran and embraced him, there's a really cool Greek word here. It's a compound word. Pepto is to fall. Epi is a preposition. Epipipto is to fall upon. And that's the picture that Jesus is telling here. It's a very, uh, very electric word. This father ran to his son, and it's like he pounced on... Oh, sorry about that. He pounced on him and fell on him. Now, picture that in your mind. What do you, <laughs> what do you think this prodigal son was thinking? Here comes this dad. <laughs> Here comes this dad running down the driveway, and he pounces on him, but with kisses and hugs. And tears. I don't, I don't, if you're here today, this is maybe the first sermon you've ever heard, the first time you've heard this story. I don't know, friends, what your view of God is, but Jesus tells stories to show us things. And Jesus is, is telling you, if that's not the way you think about God welcoming a broken, humble, re repentant son, then your, your heart is far from God. Because God welcomes sinners. He welcomes sinners. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. This father had compassion for his son. He ran to him. He fell upon him, not with judgment, not wagging his finger, not how dare you think you can come back and waltz back in here. You smell like pigs. You've been in unclean territory. Go take a shower and then come back and I'll, and I'll, I'll lay down for you the conditions and the terms of your return. That's before the son can even get the speech out. Isn't this beautiful? Listen to this. He says, I lost my place here. Hang on a minute. Kissed him, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, there's that word again, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. You know what a robe signified? Dignity, honor, sonship. <laughs> he said, bring the best robe in my closet. Bring it now, quickly, quickly. It's almost like he didn't hear his son's speech. Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found and they began to celebrate. Big party that he threw. How amazing is that? I don't know how many times you've heard this story. Don't ever let the familiarity of this make you lose the shock and the surprise of the gospel. You don't come back to God with, hey, I got my to-do list. I'm going to make things right. 
I'm going to work for you, God. I'm going to pay back the debt. Don't insult God that way. You can't pay back the debt. It's too deep. It's too great. It's too expensive. You can't. That's what's so beautiful and shocking and offensive about grace is that Jesus paid the debt for you. He paid it all. It's finished. It's done. Paid in full. So that's the shocking return. And here's the shocking reunion and we'll be done. How am I doing? No, I mean, time, time. <laughs> Shocking reunion. Let me, re- let me read the rest of it. Now, the older son was in the field. This is where it gets really interesting. You think the story's over. It's not. It's just really getting interesting here. The older son's in the field. I'm, I don't have to reread all that. The older son hears the noise. You can already tell he doesn't like parties. He doesn't like music. He doesn't like dancing. He hears it, and he goes, hey, what's going on? It's interesting to me, he's still in the field working. It's beyond working hours. What's he doing out there? (laughs) Go home, buddy. (laughs) And they say, your son, you didn't hear? Your son is home, safe and sound. You would think the older brother did backflips. I mean, honestly, you would think he's the one that should have been going and looking for him, right? But he's not. He's angry. He's hacked. He's offended by this. And it's interesting to me that what's the father do? He has to come out from the party. He has to come out and he entreats him. He parakaleo. He begs him. That's what the word means. He comes out and he begs his son. He begs him, please come in. Why are you missing out on celebration? Why are you so angry? Why are you offended? And he says, you're going to honor this son of yours? He doesn't say this brother of mine. He disowns him. He says, this son of you who squandered you, disgraced you, dishonored you, has squandered and spent and wasted all of our possessions, you're going to honor him? And then he says this, I've never disobeyed you. Hmm, that's interesting. What's this young man trusting in here? The law, that's right. He's trusting in his moral earnestness, his moral effort. I've, I've always obeyed you, dad. I've always done what you asked. I'm the good son. You know, we have categories like that. Jesus is shattering our categories for understanding good and bad. I grew up watching spaghetti westerns. The good guys wore white. The bad guys wore black, right? I was in a minivan with one of my sons, who shall remain unnamed, a long time ago. And, and we were actually on the way to church, and they were singing a song. And they said, God is great. God is good. God is powerful. God is mighty. He loves everybody except for the bad guys. That's what, my, that's what my son said. And I thought, oh, that's cute. You know what that is? That's, that's a window into how my son at the time thought about the world, himself, God, sin, and salvation. It just happened to be wrong, <laughs> right? God loves, God loves everybody except the bad guys. Well, who does that leave? <laughs> none of us. It leaves none of us, right? We're all bad. We're all sinful. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all transgressed. All of us have. Some of us are just honest about it, right? So that little minivan turned into a classroom that day. And that's the same thing Jesus is doing here. He's shattering our our categories. He's saying there's two ways to be lost. You can be lost like the prodigal son that goes uh, and tries to discover himself, okay? Or you can be lost like the, the moral insider who's trusting in the moral earnestness of his rule keeping. He's trusting in that. Both are lost. Both resent the father. One of them is broken and humble and returns home with a repentant heart. So there's two ways to run away from God. And I I will promise you this, there are variations of that. There are variations of that in every testimony that I hear. 
when I'm hearing people who came, came to faith in Christ. I usually hear a version of the moral insider like this. Well, I grew up in church. I grew up in church. And, and you know, they trusted in the rule. They thought God saves the drunks and the, you know, he saves the murderers, the Charles Mansons. But I was one of the good guys. And then later you hear, man, they came to, God had to break them and show them you're just as lost. You're just as lost as any prodigal son because you're trusting in your rule keeping. So there's two ways to be lost, but there's only one way to be saved, right? That's what Jesus is going to say later on in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father. You want to come home to the Father? That's amazing. That's excellent. Awesome. There's only one way to get there. It's through Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And this story ends really with kind of a warning. It's kind of a warning that, that's put into the court of the moral insiders. So I, I want to I make sure when we close, got one minute, I want to make sure and close this sermon with a loving warning to all the people who, who, who maybe you grew up in a, in a good home um, and, and maybe you're clean and distinguished and there's no scandal Nobody can Google you and, 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 and blush, okay? Google your name. I want, I want to issue a warning to you. Make sure that you acknowledge you're, 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 you're just as lost as the per- person who goes and squanders everything and, 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 and has, a, has a warning when they, when they get a background that, that has a rap sheet on them, okay? Um, the warning would be this. You need Christ, excuse me, you need Jesus Christ to save you from your sins just as much as any prodigal does. It may be more of a challenge for you to recognize that. And Jesus loves us so much, he sends this warning to both of us. So that's the message. Thank you guys for, for being patient. And, and I want to end this with, uh, this is called the Father's Welcome. At the end of this story, there's a wonderful feast for the sons that did come home. And we're having a feast here today. We're about to have a party over here. Potluck, all right? But first, we, first we've got to take care of some other things. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then we have, I think we have four or five people today. We have about 12 people that are joining the church. It's, it's Memorial Day weekend. A lot of people are traveling. So uh, some of them we're going to have to welcome next time. And some people are still in the process of joining. But today I think we have four or five we're going to welcome into the church membership. And then, this really excites me, we're going to baptize three people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've got a baptism trough right out here outside. Uh, so I'm going to pray. And we're going to welcome new members, and then we're going to go do some baptisms, and then we're going to pray and come back in here and eat, okay? So uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for the power of it, for the clarity of it. Thank you that you, you love us so much, Lord. You know the categories that we so often think of ourselves in and think of you in. Uh, you receive sinners, broken sinners, humble sinners, desperate sinners, Sinners who come with, with, with nothing in their, in their moral bank account to offer you, Lord. They're, they're spiritually depleted, and they know that. They know the only hope they have is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, turning from their sin, agreeing with you that they are a desperate sinner in need of your grace. And I pray that everyone, uh, either watching from home or in this building, has done that, Lord. May your Holy Spirit uh, show them their sin and show them the Savior. We thank you for those that are joining the church. Thank you for those that we're baptizing. Thank you for the food we're about to, to enjoy and those that prepared it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right, if you're joining the church today, come on up, come on up here and stand up here. I want to introduce you and welcome you and pray for you. Come on up here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, I was right. I think we got five up here. Let me turn this on. Don't worry. I'm just going to ask you for your name, all right? <laughs> so we have uh, five people joining. Yeah, real quick, the reason that we do, this is a good opportunity, just, just for a minute, to take just really quick opportunity to remind everybody why we have church membership. I believe that uh, a really strong argument is made in the New Testament. They kept track of all the people that came into the kingdom, and those people would have formally joined probably house churches in the New Testament. Uh, that doesn't mean it's wrong or unbiblical to have a bigger gathering like this. It's the culture that we live in, but they, were, they kept track of them. People, when they move from one town to the next, would send letters ahead to, to vet them and legitimize them and say, look, they were a member of this church. They were kept track of. It's a way that we put ourselves under the authority of elders and leadership. It's a way that we belong. And it's really, honestly, guys, this is a, this is a covenant community. We do lots of covenants here. When we dedicate children, we're making a covenant with those parents to partner with them to raise their children in the fear and admonition and culture of the Lord. And when people join the church, it's a formal ceremony. We're not going to like slaughter a, an animal or anything or make you sign your name in blood. But we are publicly recognizing they are joining. This, this is a family. They're joining this covenant community. Uh, we're their people. They are our people. Yeah, they belong to us. We belong to them. We love them. We pray with them. We weep with them when they weep. We, we celebrate with them when they celebrate. Uh, we do life with them together. So that's the reason that we formalize church membership here. And uh, we, we help them find their spiritual gifts and help them to turn that thing loose in the body of Christ to build one another up. So with that being said, I'm just going to hand the microphone to them. They can say their name, where they're from. If you want to say one interesting thing about yourself to, to make yourself memorable to us, uh, you can do that too. No sermons. That's already been taken care of. I'm William Argerbright. Uh, I go by Charlie, uh, middle name, and uh, I'm from originally Kansas, uh, joined the military, moved all over the place, uh, wound up in Colorado, met my wife Candy, and uh, we've got five adult children, whatever, they're always children, and uh, nine grandchildren. We lived in uh, Colorado for most of her life and 20, over 24 years of my life. And we moved here last year to Florida. So I'll pass it off to boss here. Well, he already said everything about me. So. <laughs> Interesting thing about me is I'm married to him. So. <laughs> Good morning, my name is Monique. For those of you who don't know me, um, this is Michelle, my husband. We have been married for 51 years. Yes. We have been coming to Grace Life for five years. And um, I thought we were going to say our testimony, but so we're not. So we're not. 
we okay. can do it. My testimony is very, very short. Um, I don't have a specific or uh, single uh, incident. It's been for me uh, gradual um, events in my life um, and people that have been planted in my life. And uh, um, anyway, to make it short and sweet, um, I lost my words. To make it short and sweet, um, Jesus has been calling me, and here I am. And th that's my story. And I, we, have, we have two beautiful children. One of them is right there. <laughs> and the other one lives in West Palm Beach, and we have four beautiful grandchildren from age 23 to the youngest is 13. Thank you. Well, not much left, but <laughs> uh, uh, I think my journey, me personally, i always been a believer, but I never really practiced. And it, it really started with a friend of ours uh, many years ago that kept inviting me to go to church. And, and we kept saying, no, no, no. And they kept asking, and they kept asking. And every time we said no, they, they, they never got upset. They just kept asking. And uh, one day, I, I, we finally gave in, and this is Tom and Charisse, and thank you. Uh, so, um, it, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. But really, for, for, for us, the, the journey really started in a nice Greek restaurant downtown the land. <laughs> because it was about four a five friend of ours couple that went out to dinner and we, we get there in that small restaurant. There was only one table and there was already a couple sitting at that table there with a young woman that was with child. And she looked like she was going to have it that day. <laughs> she was ready. So we sat at the table with this couple and of course it was Tommy and Sarah and, and, uh, We became friends, not friends, but we had a nice conversation with, with them, and we realized that they have just planted this church, so we start coming to this church, and through the last five years is, is what got us to be closer to God. The, the sermon every Sunday, very good. Uh, the culture around here is very, very good. Uh, it, it, it brought us closer to God. And then somewhere along the way, not, not far, I, I said it's time for us to join and to serve. So here we are crying like a baby here. <laughs> so thank you. My name's Tony Prater. I've been here for almost two years, and don't hold it against her, but I'm Christy Ross's brother, so. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for these, uh, and then we're going to go baptize Michelle, Monique, and a young lady named Ariel. Hope you guys are ready. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you... 
glory and thanks and praise to God. You are an amazing God. And, and the paths that you put each and every one of us on, the lives that you intersect with ours, uh, just even hearing the testimony, friends that are even present today, thank you for all the seeds of the gospel that were planted in the lives of these five up here that brought them to Jesus Christ. Thank you for the clarity, for the dimmer switch that got brighter and brighter until they saw that they were sinners, hopeless sinners in need of a Savior, and, and the saving faith that you gave them and the repentance. Uh, Lord, we give you glory. We give you thanks. I pray this church will be stronger because of them joining. I pray that uh, they would be stronger because they're joining this church. Help us to be faithful to them, Lord. Help them to be faithful, Lord, in, in their service and their prayers and their support, Lord, and, and uh, what an exciting time, Lord, for, for, for Grace Life. And I pray for the others that are in process of joining. And be with us now as we celebrate new life with baptisms, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, listen, if you want to head outside, uh, we, we'll have our baptism candidate.